You're listening to Raising Anchor, a Rhode Island FC podcast. We're glad you're here. Hello and welcome to Raising Anchor, your podcast and source for all things Rhode Island FC. I'm your host, Matt Entrican, coming to you on Wednesday, February 21st. That's right, we're recording on a Wednesday and hoping that everything we say for the next hour remains accurate by the time you listen to it. The Open Cup is back, but it's on life support. Is this the club's only chance to go after the trouble before we maybe see the cup go away forever? We've got native Rhode Island signings to talk about in the club's worst-kept secret. And joining the pod for the first time is RIFC Director of Ticketing, Brian Kim, where he provides updates on what fans can expect from ticket offerings to game day experiences in preparation for the inaugural match, which is just 20 days away. Joining me per usual is co-host Jason Carey. Jason, how's it going, my friend? Doing pretty good, buddy. How about yourself? Uh, My entire rhythm is off. We're recording on the wrong day. Up is down, it's down is fault. up. Yeah, it is. Thank you. It is your fault. And I want to start welcome. with, listeners have already warned me. Several have said at one point, and they said your name specifically. They they recognized the dedication I have, but they said there's going to come a point in time where Jason can't record on a Thursday, and that's going to mess you up. What are your backup plans? Who are your secondary co-hosts that you want to have join the pod? And I said, no, 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 no. Jason's not that kind of guy. Jason's dedicated to the craft. He's dedicated to the fans. We'll never miss a Thursday ever on our deathbeds. <laughs> We're not even a year in. Backup plan is record on Wednesday. No, the backup plan is we don't ever do this again. So it's for preseason. So <laughs> we're just getting our reps in. Okay. Okay. We're going to have to reevaluate this uh, after, after today's recording. Um, but how are you doing? Good, good. Once the season starts, you know. No more nonsense. <laughs> oh, that's where you put the boot down with the family and the work obligations, and you say this is this is the priority. Yep. You know, I'm sure I'm sure a lot of fans have to say that to their significant others, right? Like, hey, like what what's the what's the joke? Saturday is for the boys. Saturday is for the boys. I, I'm sure there's going to be a lot of instances this year where people that are just joining Rhode Island FC for the for this inaugural season, they're going to say, wait, what do you mean you've tied up 17 of your Saturdays and Fridays and Wednesdays to go watch soccer? I I, I didn't know this is what I signed up for. So at least we still get to record tonight for uh, for listeners and, uh, you know, they may get some dated information. So be kind to us in the social media and Discord if uh, something does not age well over the next two days. Because let's get honest, uh, when we bring up the Open Cup here in a second, we're working with borrowed knowledge at the moment. And this could be completely wrong in, in, you know, in five minutes, let alone five hours so uh but before we jump into that a couple other quick things one did you see the player photo shoot pictures uh that got shared online with all the new like backgrounds and everything that they're setting up for like match day competitions uh no i saw the new signings i saw the shout out to for birthdays things like that but i missed that one do you even cover this club i'm not always online (laughs) We're going to have to get you a handle. It's like not online, Jason Carey. I mean, I respect it. I'm definitely online more now because of this secondary hobby. But uh, but you're going to have to get more invested in, in, in these times and these places. They just need to like have a, a, a pigeon that can like bring me these things. You mean like a like a Twitter bird? 
that could just share that to you? Yeah, but that only shows shares me information about RFC, not a bunch of things I don't care about. Listen, sometimes you're going to you're going to need that advertisement for that product from China that you just have to have because your life is too complicated without it. You you have to be okay with that. <laughs> like do you struggle to open jars? They've got a product on Timu for you. This is not a sponsor from Timu, by the way. But so anyways, for those that are living under a rock like Jason, there was an incredible photo shoot. Uh, Daedalus is a new media partner with the club. And so they kind of teased a little bit of it. And then the club brought out some pictures. In fact, uh, Prince Sadie had a birthday shot with one of the images that they used. And it was like all this like bright yellow smoke behind him. Uh, and it just looked really rad. So I can't wait to see how they use all of those sessions to hype up the players. I know that our card collector app creator, Craig Jolliker, will probably be using a lot of those images to convert the stock stuff that he has been trying to find just to build the app. And, you know, just kind of a callback to Craig, we had him on earlier this week, and he was able to share uh, all of the great things that he's doing within the card collector app that he's built for Rhode Island FC. There was a lot more scaling than even I thought that he was planning on putting together I can't wait to be playing against fans and lineups with my card collection. Uh, Craig, I'm going to need a couple extra cards thrown my way for this promotion, though, so just go ahead. But for those of you that haven't heard it yet or don't pay attention on social media, there is a promo that you can use inside Craig's app, uh, and that it's anchors-up, and that will get you a limited card pack with our podcast card as well. So make sure you go in there, uh, log in daily for the rewards and just keep collecting because it is a fun thing to do, especially with no soccer yet starting. So super excited with that. So I have one I have one shout out and one kind of complaint. Which one do you want first? Um, Let's start with the complaint. Oh, wow. What, what Negative Nelly about? over here. Okay. Well, it's official. Uh, we, we bore people. <laughs> I have a firsthand account from a avid listener that they put this podcast on every friday morning or monday morning just depends on which day of the week they can get to it but they play it on their commute to drop their kid off to school and their kid hates us they want to listen to the the top 20 they want to listen to whatever is the the cool new music they don't want to listen to two guys talk about soccer and uh and that was the feedback that we received so we're landing well with adults but we've got to retool this entire podcast to support listening like children listening and, and, and actually enjoying it Okay, so do we gotta like dab a lot? Is that what kids? I think want? that's like do, five years too old already. No cap. Uh, instead of saying for real, we just put fr for everything. What's your riz? <laughs> My riz game's off the chart, yo. <laughs> I don't think people say that. <laughs> I I only know like three words in today's slang. But yeah, we bore kids. So I mean, shout out to shout out know. to the children listening right now. Sorry, if you're kids. bored. We apologize, but also uh, you should pay attention anyways. It's important that you listen to us so and respect your parents. So, okay, well, that was the negative. But the positive, uh, we got a shout-out today on uh, Tommy Quinlan's New England Soccer Weekly uh, radio show slash podcast. Nice. Yeah, so uh, Tommy is a very well-established uh, media personality and influencer with the New England Revolution and, of course, all of the talk shows that are anchored in, in Rhode Island. He's a he's a producer for a majority of those shows. But having said that, you know, he's just started back up his New England Soccer Weekly with his group. They're still primarily focused on the Revolution, but they do, uh, they have added or incorporated Rhode Island FC into that. And so for those of you that are always listening or looking to listen for more content, 
I, we've been asked a couple of times, like, will we do the the immediate following recap of the performance of the team? But this will be another conduit for you guys to listen to to them and uh, and kind of find out what's going on from his take on how the club is doing. So definitely give that a listen. He's tentatively scheduling those for Wednesdays right now. We'll always be a Friday release, or if it's a double game week, we'll make sure that there's also a a game preview and and recap the day before. So you know, on those double weeks, expect double episodes uh or just sometimes we have interviews like we dropped earlier this week with with the card collector app so that's uh that's the quick hits you ready to get into the the big stuff so uh so open cup uh it has it's still alive it's it refuses to die just barely (laughs) it is clinging to it's, it's like holding on to the rail it's it's plugged into life support i don't know what analogy you want but it is it is struggling to die. And, you know, a week ago, if you had asked, there were rumors, very strong rumors, that MLS had effectively killed it because without their without their participation, USSF was not going to hold the tournament, uh, whether that was because of dollars or because of egos. It was everything except for the intent or inclination to preserve soccer history. I can tell you that. But in the, you know, social outcry that came as a result of that, there's been a kind of hybrid restructuring on what we can expect from the Open Cup moving forward. So some of this to the diehards is not new news, but we read through some of the most recent articles, and there's a couple of contacts we have both in the USSF and MLS as well that have been sharing what they've learned and what they can share. And so there's a couple of other details that we want to unpack tonight. So what we know is MLS will be reducing its footprint or its participation numbers from its senior teams uh, from 29 all the way down to eight. So the last time we talked on, on the most recent pod, you know, we had talked about how prior to 2011, it was half of the clubs. And then in the very earliest inclinations, it was eight teams. So they've moved the needle all the way back down to a minimum partition, a participation of eight clubs. Now, what's so different about this besides the eight and what everyone seemed to be undercutting in the news that's been announced so far is they also slid in that MLS Next Pro teams will be entering on the league's behalf. And I I, I remember in the December discussions where everyone thought this had been put to bed, that was the initial proposal that MLS had thrown out the first time was that there was no teams and that Next Pro would be replacing all of their teams. So immediately, this just already feels like a loss to the cup to the participants because it it seems like we're going to unpack a lot more here, but it already just feels like MLS won without anything, without any repercussions. You know, the USSF is toothless here. They, they, there's no sanctioning. There's no, there's no ramifications. There's no penalties. It, it, it sounds like MLS already has just won. This is, is that something that is that how you, is that how it feels for you? To a certain extent, yes. Um, it is hard to say without knowing what the future looks like. Um, currently, this setup is for 2024 only. They are still working on what the 2025 tournament will look like, You know, assuming that it happens as well. I mean, this just comes down to MLS and the owners want more control, I think. Um, I, I, I think it's more than that now. To be honest, I, I, if you had told me this two weeks ago, I would have agreed with that. But with these new findings that are coming out, I think it's, I think it's more than that. I think it's also money, which is a weird thing to say with a league that charges five hundred million dollars 
has a gajillion dollar jerseys. Yeah, two hundred dollar jerseys, a gajillion dollar TV sponsorship deal with Apple. Messi's here. I mean, like I, I wrote, I wrote on MLS's page earlier today. Like they're just taking L's left and right right now between the brokenness of their storied team, the fact that they're charging all of that money for kits, the fact that MLS uh, season pass is not going to be free to anyone except for season ticket members. So last year. They gave away the pass to like a lot of different people. Um, the Open Cup debacle. T-Mobile gave it away last year, I think, right? Yeah, and they're yeah. not doing it this nope. year. They're not doing. They're not even a discount. The the whole league congestion, the Open Cup debacle, uh, and then the fact that they're not restructuring the playoffs back to like nobody liked the playoff format last year, but they're keeping that too. So hashtag not an MLS podcast, but they are just you know in a year that all eyes are on. This is this is a comedy of epic proportions that they're writing for themselves. Yeah, um, and not to go too off on a tangent, but maybe they see that, you know, with the exception of, like, what, L.A. fans protesting, like, people are still going to their games. So even though people are upset, they're still ranking in the money. So unless people decide to vote with their wallets and say, Hey, I do not like the direction of the the league, these clubs, and I don't know, protest and don't go to games. The owners are like, okay, you can complain all you want, but we're still making all this money. Let's be honest, too. The people that have been the loudest complainers are often the people that don't go to games in the first place, don't have Apple TV. They're just soccer snobs or just people who want to hate on the internet, right? So I... I I think that lines up perfectly. But to jump back into what we know about the Open Cup. So we mentioned that there are eight teams that we know will participate. The rumor right now circling amongst insiders is that these eight teams will be selected from the bottom of the table in 2023 standings. So these would be clubs that did not. Miami. Well, hold on. <laughs> so you're 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 spoiling the lead there, right? But you're you're also spot on. If you think about it, with this quote-unquote schedule congestion, with Leagues Cup off the board, let's just remove that Champions League and and how that performs, that's where the biggest draw from all of the pre-qualifiers and the clubs that are anticipated to make some sort of run, those are the teams that you know were at the top of the table that don't have the ability to benefit or, or succeed with this many additional games. So that does put that lens on the bottom tier. So looking at 2023's performers... That's your Austin, Colorado, LA Galaxy, Minnesota, DC United, Chicago, and Toronto FC, with the exception that Inter Miami, which did end up at the bottom of the table, not wooden spoon contenders, but close uh, for the league, they would also then qualify. But we now we also know that Apple has this issue because they've not recognized the Open Cup from their deep final run last season. They're not interested in it. So even if they do go with the bottom of the league performance, Inter-Miami will most definitely be protected from that. And I wouldn't be surprised unless we hear about the teams early in the announcement, and we'll talk about the rounds in a second, any of these other teams that may suddenly make a storied run, like they could just wait to see in May, like, okay, well, who's who's at the bottom of the table right now? 
in addition to the people we were selecting from last season. Okay, here's the eight that come in. So your San Jose's could still be. They were they were close to it. Uh, Montreal was very close. Those those could be the replacement teams for any group that doesn't want to participate, even though they've been selected for tribute. Yeah, I almost wonder if it's going to be slightly arbitrary because I, I wonder too, like, would the Galaxy actually be there? I don't know. I, I almost wonder if it becomes like a boys club and they start to like, pick well you know austin's newer to the league we'll send them maybe minnesota and they just kind of arbitrarily pick various teams throughout the league that they maybe are not the flashiest teams per se and in different markets and just make them go instead so i i like where you're going with that and i'll i'll double down on that and say the other thing which we haven't confirmed if it is going to carry over but it has been a talking point throughout the week is that when MLS did come back to the table to negotiate for Open Cup participation, they had a demand that 40% of, there was a 40% revenue share when the club would go to an away club to compete, which is insane that they think that they can ask for a revenue share um, because you know that if a USL club or a, a regional amateur club were to compete in an MLS home stadium, MLS isn't sharing anything. Isn't that 40% um, revenue supposed to go to the Open Cup is what they were talking about? No, no. So there's there, there are there's already a structure based on the round that you're in that pays operations costs, your birth in the tournament itself, and then there is a portion of tickets so, uh, through turnstile that are converted into dollars back to the USSF. That being said, this is something completely separate. This is MLS basically saying, hey, we're the draw here, not you. These fans wouldn't show up in this capacity if we weren't coming to your stadium. You need to pay us for it. And like again, if that's the take you want to have, fine. But then you need to offer it if the clubs are going to you, which they didn't even bring that up. But then also, too, we all know that some of these clubs, they survive the season by having these additional games in their home stadiums, whether it's from a regional competition level or it's landing the big fish of an MLS club coming and playing. This is this is just, again, MLS. It's not control. This is MLS wanting to make it about money to protect themselves. And this is about them proving a point that they don't get pushed around by the ever encroaching efforts of USL. So, you know, it, it's it's completely asinine to think that this is anything but that. So going back to what you asked, though, about like what teams do we think could show up while we mentioned the bottom eight, there's probably also some regional qualification that they need to think about from a geography standpoint about the MLS next pro teams that they would want to show up. Because here's the thing no one's really taken into a consideration yet. People are saying, oh, MLS is afraid of the USL championship knocking them out from this tournament at some point. People have also said that's why they don't want their senior teams, which are then actually just uh, flooded with the MLS Next Pro Academy or se- uh, second teams uh, showing up because even though you know it would be Rhode Island FC versus the New England Revolution and it would actually be Revs too, it's bad optics for the domestic for the people that aren't really like into soccer into soccer and then you know the international people that may be just like looking at scores from abroad. This same thing has a reverse effect on the USL Championship now where MLS Next Pro teams are the quote-unquote underdogs that could come up and try to knock out the USL Championship sides, right? So you have Division Two chomping at the heels of Division One, and now we've inserted Division Three teams 
to try to displace division two teams that could say oh look your division two is nothing like we're just as good at d3 so like you shouldn't even pay attention to this league like that's something that people need to consider and i wouldn't be surprised if mls is strategic in making sure that the clubs that are represented are the clubs that show up the best in terms of their roster construction and their performance from last year so like columbus crew 2 was in the uh, finals for the mls next pro i don't remember the team they lost to but i wouldn't be surprised then with you know the the crew obviously won so they're not participating but the crew too that'd be a perfect opportunity if columbus is hungry enough to say hey go out there guys and show what show the show the world what you can do I wouldn't be surprised if there's some decision-making mechanisms for MLS to start choosing where. So if it's not from a geography standpoint, it's definitely going to be from a quality of talent. Or if the MLS teams from a senior level say, hey, we want to participate. You know, like the DC United of the world say, hey, we're not going to win. We're not going to win MLS Cup. But we feel with the roster we have constructed this year, we could go out and get an Open Cup Do you win. think Houston Dynamo will push to be in it? I mean, I would want to defend my title. I, I don't know. That's a great question. I mean, they they were in the playoffs. They got knocked out by LAFC deep. Uh, they won against uh, a messiless inner Miami. I, I mean, yeah, I, I me personally, I would always want to be able to show up as a champion that I could do things over and over again. Maybe MLS is going to decide for them. Maybe they say, hey, Houston, we hear you, but we need to give Toronto FC a chance because they're not going to win anything this year. Do you think we'd be having a different conversation right now if Inter Messi won this tournament? Oh, if if he had won this, because I wonder if he MLS, as a, would, MLS would have bought the or Apple would have bought the broadcast rights for Open <laughs> Cup, and this would have been a done deal. I, you know, I imagine a player like him is very competitive, and he would have wanted to defend his title, hundred percent. Because then they would compare him to all, you know, like oh well, you couldn't go back to back. You're a, a one hit wonder. All right, so let's move into the technicals of this. So from the leaks that we found so far, we know that the first round will kick off on March 19th, and that's where qualifying amateur teams that were working through last year, as well as Division Division Three rosters, including MLS Next Pro, USL1, and NISA will compete. So that's the first round. Then through the process of elimination of those groups, we enter round two, which is starting on April 2nd through the 3rd. Um, and that's just a continuation of those teams knocking each other out until we get to round three now round three is where things start to matter for the usl but more more so specifically for rhode island fc because that's where we will enter the the competition so either on april 16th or april 17th which are weekdays mark your calendars now fans we will be playing a competitive match in the open cup i cannot confirm because the draw hasn't happened yet what that club competition will look like but from the looks of things, we will be playing either one of the winners from the previous round of one or two, or one of the additional USL clubs that's entering in the third round. Now, for USL competition, it's not every team. They are putting some in reserve to round four now because of MLS's departure. So in the MLS, or excuse me, in the USL round, you're going to see all of the bottom of the table. Uh, when it comes to conference winners and then everyone who didn't play or who didn't successfully make it into playoffs last year enter in round three so it's i think the cutoff is uh position number seven and eight so anything from seven and below on each of the conferences are entering in round three and then anyone that placed higher than seventh in their conference will be entering in round four so 
in round three, we're in because we didn't play last year. But guess who else is in? That's right down the that right down the street. Connecticut. Exactly. Just the whole state. Yep. Yep. We don't All even call them by their name anymore. So yeah. So there's there is a chance, and it's a very strong chance, knowing that the draw for this tournament is always favored in a regional geography. There's a there's a very strong likelihood that it'll be Hartford Athletic on either April 16th or April 17th. Now. There are a couple of other clubs that can enter into this space too. So again, anything is possible because that's the beauty of knockout soccer. But there are some other clubs that we could consider. So there's Brockton FC United, which is a uh, lower division team in Massachusetts. There's a club that it's here. I've read it three times. I didn't bother to try to find the pronunciation because I think it would break my computer. But there's Varingen Erzegerberger. Uh, yeah, Varingen Erzegerberger. I love that Erzberg? you. I love that you. You followed me it, into that probably, trap. Yeah, Ezerberg. I don't know. <laughs> so they're from Pennsylvania. There's Christos FC in Maryland. Those are all uh, lower division teams. And then there's the Maryland Bobcats and NISA. And then there's the Richmond Kickers and USL One that could uh, potentially face us. And then if MLS Next Pro teams that entered into the uh, earliest stages, if they've still survived, it's the likes of potentially the Revs Two, NYCFC Two, or Red Bull two that would join us and that's pretty interesting too because one we already played the revs two in preseason uh so we kind of we at least have an understanding and then of course there's the you know revs to rfc connection but then with nycfc two and red bull two we have alumni from those two clubs on our squad right through amos uh, shapiro thompson and steven turnbull so that would be interesting competitions there but I think you said you wanted to tell me something really interesting about the Richmond Kickers. Oh, about how they have the most amazing jersey ever. It says Arby's on the front, and it looks super 90s. I I need to know when... Did, was that probably the last time Arby's invested in soccer? I don't know. <laughs> I, I think I think they need to come back. <laughs> Arby's is... Arby's baffles me as a company. No shade, though. Uh, so then we go into round four after those lineups, and that's where the rest of those USL teams will enter in uh, on 5-6 to 5-7. And then we enter the round of 16, which will be played uh, on May 11th and 12th. And then after that, that's when you line up. There's a couple of months break, and we see in the August and September timeline where those final rounds uh, of eight clubs start lining up for their their final knockouts until there's a champion. So it's a it's it's coming and like we've said continue to mark that calendar that there's a strong chance that we will be playing hartford at trinity health uh on either april 16th or 17th unless the club has pivoted and they said hey now that we've thought about it now that we have the date we'd rather try to bid for the hosting rights i'm not sure how that really works because there's been times where i i know a club can defer when they say they don't want to host but I don't know what happens when two clubs offer. So uh, that'll be that'll be a very interesting shakeup uh, when that happens. That's what's going on. Do you have any faith that this is going to continue beyond 2024? I don't know. I, I want it to. The interesting thing to point out is that this tournament has been going on longer than any of the leagues that we're talking about right now. In this point in the game, though, with, with how much money is involved in sports, if MLS backed out, and we only had USL and Amateur, NISA, and so on and so forth. I don't know how well run USSF is. I don't I don't have a lot of faith in it sometimes. That I wonder if there is enough money there to keep this going. I imagine they might have to uh, make a lot of changes. 
we might have to look at a very regional type of tournament where to cut down on costs for travel because that's that's the big problem that we have here in a lot of um, American sports. I don't think people realize how big this country is. And for, as cool as it is to have regional teams like Vermont Green all of a sudden draw the Houston Dynamo, that is such a long distance to travel and for those teams to play each other that it just doesn't really make any sense. As much as I would like to see things like that happen, because that's how you build history, right? You you can find random friendships where teams really get along and like each other or create random rivalries, but in the name of preserving the tournament, I would hope that they can find some way to keep it going, even if it doesn't mean that like it is a offers a CONCACAF slot. I think it is still something that a lot of uh, soccer fans are into. I, I mean, listen, the CONCACAF slot is the ultimate achievement, and that's why it's so elusive for lower division teams. But to your point, if if they don't, if they if for some reason this can't continue in the capacity it is, then they need to assess at least like what are the payouts, like what are the financial rewards. I know that Concacaf actually had to go through a restructure for its Champions Cup because other clubs were like, this isn't worth it. We go down and play Liga Mekis teams, and it gets super scrappy. You know, like we end up with hurt players. There's there's no reason that money's here. It's the yeah, same reason in th- there's a lot of those small like Central American countries that don't have. I imagine those teams do not have tons of money to be flying all the way out here to to play MLS teams or even Liga Mekis teams. You know, even even the big boys out here in the North American game you know, are, are concerned about travel costs. Yeah, no, I, I think, I think what will happen next is if the CONCACAF slot is removed, then USL is going to have to take a serious consideration on what it means to be D1 sanctioned because USL announced today they are putting all of their clubs in, right? So that was probably intentional to show to this, the federation, if they ever want to build a lawsuit or if they want to stack up on the Nassau lawsuit of antitrust because don't think that that's not coming back as a result of this. Nassau's whole argument was that USSF positioned MLS intentionally at the top and disregarded other qualifications that they held other leagues to and you know subjected them to a, a lower participation instead of equality. This shows up completely to defend that. So the the New York Cosmos owner who's been fighting this since like 2016, he's probably just like just laughing all day every day right now because this just basically hands him a, a a bulletproof case but but having said that if if they don't if they don't get a conkick half slot and they take that away or, or the cup is gone usl is going to have to find another way to get into that space and that's either viability to to division one sanctioning or something else to wrap things up though i still think that that the reason the ussf didn't back this harder was because they announced that they anticipate first time ever profitability by 2026 ahead of the World Cup. So technically in 2025, they will have made a profit for the first time ever as a federation because um, they've been a sunken cost for, for decades. And I think that's important because it's not much. Like they've had an operating loss of, I think, at least $30 million a year for 
the last five to ten years. Wow. But th- this first time ever, they're going to have like a positive operating model of like two to five million dollars. I bet you that money immediately gets soaked up by the Open Cup if they had to go back and restructure to to do things correctly. So obviously that's not on the table while they're trying to get to the World Cup. Maybe it could be something after, but don't think that money doesn't come uh, come into this. So we've talked so long about the Open Cup. I don't want to talk about it ever again unless it's to announce that it's fully revived I or it's dead. I want to talk about the Open Cup. <laughs> I mean, I want to talk about it when we play, but I don't want to talk about any more about this stuff. So uh, let's get on to the fun stuff. We got signings to cover. Uh, we Rhode Island FC, they did it. They finally... I, and I didn't. I didn't even realize it until the announcement came out. We signed our first two players. <laughs> our, well, kind of. You're you're not wrong, uh, but you're also not completely right. We did sign our first two Rhode Island native players, and I, I had. I don't know why I didn't realize the sooner that we didn't have anyone from the group because you keep hearing like, oh, this was a Revs Academy person or this person new coach, and so there's like these tie-ins, right? Like all of these graphs and charts that would connect people to that, but there was no native Rhode Islander. And it's so funny because in the same week that we announced that we've signed two Rhode Island natives, there was another Rhode Island native who was announced for the wrong club, and that was Damian Rivera. Everyone had put like surefire bets down that uh, that Tico would be joining from the from the Revs and come down to Rhode Island FC. So much so that a couple of people online had talked that there's bad blood between the Revs now and the Rhode Island FC groups. Uh, and that's what prevented Rivera from coming to Rhode Island FC. We we tried to confirm that with the club. There was no mention. There was no comments about that. Nothing has been shared in that capacity. We know that Tampa Bay has been serviced for other Revs players that had to be loaned out. So there's an existing relationship there. Um, it you know People are saying, oh, well, the Revs don't want their product to compete potentially against an Open Cup match or that they don't want them to show that Rhode Island FC is just as viable of a product. I disagree with all of that. I think that if a player lives locally, rather than uproot their entire life, give them immediate access to still always be at their facilities, RIFC would have been the choice destination. If I had to guess anything, and this is strictly my opinion, no sourcing whatsoever, my guess is there was probably a conversation that Coach Gano had early on about bringing someone like Damian over to Rhode Island FC. But that conversation probably happened in, I don't know, August, September, as he was building out the roster. When you remember what the Revs front office and technical staffs looked like in that time period, it was a dumpster fire. They couldn't make decisions like that, and they didn't know what kind of roster strategies they were going to need to use uh, as they retooled and rebuilt their, their front office. So they didn't get to a supplemental roster block until very late into the transfer windows and realized that they needed to make moves accordingly. By that point, Coach had already signed a majority of the players. So if you were to go back into a, a wayback machine and, and travel back to the summer of last year, I almost guarantee you there was probably a conversation somewhere like, hey, we recognize this. He'd be a great signing for the club you know, is there something you'd like to work out? And that just didn't materialize. But that's that's completely an assumption. But I don't think there's any of this like, oh, like bad blood that's been rumored uh, on the internet. I think that's just people on the internet trying to, to start stuff. You know, the, there probably will be a rivalry between the teams at some point. But, you know, I imagine there needs to be a little more history between us before anything actually materializes. I want to start being able to just like, 
on the record reference oh a friend of a brother who had a dunkin donuts with the guy was quote he's a reliable source yeah don't my worry. friend's uncle sister cousin said that they don't like each other <laughs> so all right but so that's that's the rivera stuff out of the way let's talk about the people we actually signed and secured for the club so we picked up goalkeeper nate silvera he is an east providence native and he spent 2023 with Charlotte FC's second team Crown Legacy FC of MLS Next Pro. Is that like a different version of a Crown Vic? Like the <laughs> higher tier version? Oh, you got dad jokes today. I will say though, all jokes aside, I appreciate the effort that went into not naming the second team Charlotte FC. Oh too. yeah, I so absolutely despise small, small golf clap to Charlotte FC yeah. for not for not doing that. I, I've noticed that they have started to get away from that, but I absolutely despise a team named two. It's so dumb. I would only accept it if there's no one as like a joke. (laughs) Anyways, back to Nate. Um, He's a household name for fans of Vermont Green as he played for the USL League Two side in 2022. He was captain of the Green, putting up 900 minutes and 27 saves. The Rhode Island native spent four seasons at the University of Mara during his college career. Silvera was named back-to-back America East Goalkeeper of the Year, while wearing captain's art band in the final two seasons. I need to find out when you get titles and like awards and accolades like East Goalkeeper of the Year for America. Is that divisionally? Is that like I I, I saw that and I was like, hmm, I don't know. Like we've seen a lot of awards for different players and I, I, I need to start learning what the collegiate system offers out so I can I can keep up with when something gets announced like this and make sure I understand the meaning behind it. Because I don't know how big of a deal that award is or like how just like hey we had to give it to someone in the east and we, we ch- like not to discredit anything from oh, Nate's yeah, accomplishments no, but i don't know anything about that kind of stuff yeah a- any award is a good award like that but it's also important to know the context like what are what are what is the category the range for this watch it's like scholastic and has nothing to do with like it's all academic performance and not anything <laughs> related really to your, on you the know, field math or something <laughs> <laughs> so i had a question I, I think this is a tremendous pickup uh, i've already told the team we we need to interview um him and the other announcement here in a second because just the fact that we we sign people nate we we both are here in east providence so let's meet up at borealis and, and have a coffee sometime soon um but this is I, I just I love the story of picking up people that have spent their entire life trying to get to these moments and now get to not only play but play for their for their hometown, literally their hometown. Like that's what that's what propped up Rhode Island FC to begin with. So this is just super incredible. But I have a question for you because I I saw this and my immediate thought was I was surprised that we picked up a third keeper. I know in in a majority of the Division One clubs there are usually three keepers obviously you never know what could happen from an injury perspective and you don't want to be going and buy, doing an emergency signing or an emergency loan to pick someone up so i'm not against it but when i did the research on the league and how they approach keepers did you know that only eight of the 24 teams in the usl championship have three keepers and what's weird of those eight two clubs have four which ironically, one of them is Hartford Athletic. So I don't like they must have some really big concerns this they're, year on their defense. They're just off the rocker. <laughs> <laughs> and and then uh, North Carolina FC, which I don't know if they inherited and brought that up as they promoted up when and joined as we did, but only eight teams of twenty four have 
three keepers. Everyone else has two. And here's the crazier stat. Two clubs right now only have one keeper, New Mexico United and Tulsa. So that tells us New Mexico United and Tulsa like to live life on the edge. <laughs> I too like to live dangerously. Yeah. So, but like, what are your thoughts on that? Is is three uh, is three like in three excess is, or is that appropriate? Like, what, what's your thought there? Three is standard for all the like the major teams. So I don't know if as you go further down divisions, you know, it's still the same sport. You still have to worry about what if my main goalkeeper gets like a hamstring injury and is out for three months and then my backup goalkeeper you know gets punched in the face or something you know like crazy things have happened it's 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 one of those like kind of it's an insurance thing that you get that is important to have but you know do you ever need it sometimes but not very often the discussion here is nate is a proven name in usl 2 in mls next pro he has time he has he was a captain i think that's a huge call out when the goalkeeper is the captain of the squad so he has leadership this was definitely not like a diamond in the rough i think this was a completely non-forecasted acquisition and so the club was not actively pursuing him he fell into their lap as a golden opportunity obviously if that's the kind of signing that nate has become that wasn't a part of the original plan with the pedigree and the experience he offers, who's our backup now? Is it still Jackson Lee? Or does Nate, with his showcase, show up stronger on paper and should be considered for the number two spot? Or is this just going to be one of the fiercest competitions we see all year between Jackson Lee and, and Nate Silvera? Yeah, I'll be uh, curious to see how that pans out. Coach seems to be very adamant that you have to earn your spot, so it'll depend on how well they show in training who will uh, officially be the second. You didn't answer my question. You just you said what coach would say if I asked him that question. I want the real take <laughs> from you, sir. Um, Just looking at it on paper, Jackson I, Lee's never spent a minute playing professional soccer yet. Nate has. Does is that, a, is, that a, is that a deal breaker in the sense of swinging to Nate's favor now? Or was it Jackson's first? Because remember, Jackson Lee is no pushover either. He was being scouted and was acquired by LAFC until they found out we had already secured his rights. So, like, I, I, I want to not downplay Jackson's skills either. If this was game day, you haven't watched either player yet. Who's your second one riding the bench? Oh, man. Put me on the spot here. Whoever I say, the other guy's not going to like me. <laughs> That's why you're the villain here, and I get to remain the hero. Nice. I'm going to answer your question with another question then. So do you think this is more of us thinking to the future if we there's potential other interest in Jackson Lee and if Koke Vegas was potentially the best player best goalkeeper in the league do we think that maybe we're not going to be able to hold on to both of them to the future and that Nate is actually going to be our kind of potential future number 1 or number 2 I mean listen I I I I, you still didn't answer my question, but I'll answer your question first. Um, the reality is this, is that, you know, Mike Parkhurst has gone on the record, and and I think Coach Kano has too, that they're never going to hold a player back from an opportunity. And so if there's an, a chance to play somewhere bigger or to get that, that larger contract somewhere, as long as it's not going to jeopardize the performance of the club in the immediate, you know, sense, 
yeah, like there's always a chance that we would sell or move on players that have um that have interest from other places, other leagues, other other countries. So I I don't I don't think that for a second that you're wrong on that, but I I wouldn't say it's as 3D chess as you know, Nate is this anticipation that we're going to lose both Koke and Jackson in the next 12 to 24 well, months. I mean, I don't mean 3D chess in that sense, but you have to be constantly thinking about the future too in terms of you know what does what does the roster look like next year yeah okay so i'll answer this i don't know the longevity of a keeper that doesn't play so i don't know if a keeper wants starting minutes and then finds their way onto another team so like the inverse of what you just said jackson's on the bench every time i'm just going to go with this example jackson's on the bench he comes in to, to, you know, fill in for a Vegas who can't make a game for whatever reason, and Nate never sees playing time. That would highly motivate Nate. You don't think if Hartford came knocking and said, hey, we'll give you either the second spot or the first spot. Like, I feel like the itch starts to create itself for players that don't get the chance to shine to find opportunities somewhere else. So in that state, Nate would be the first to leave because he would say like, "Hey, like I'm I'm getting the skills, I'm getting the the, the reps in in practice, but I'm not getting the game minutes. Let me go find something somewhere. Else. Let me continue to show up in that capacity." So I I don't know, but it doesn't really matter because, like you said, that's a future thing for now. I just want to know who do you think is the most likely to be the one on the bench, and you still haven't answered. So I'm going to hold you to this. Give me a name. Uh, I'll just go by order of signing and say Jackson Lee. <laughs> So then it's it's uh you you did it scientifically and with no other observations I I, I respect it. I don't I don't know. Uh I'm I'm going to default to we'll wait and see. I did watch some highlights of Nate. He looks pretty solid. So who else we got signing? Up next we have midfielder Kevin Vang. Vang joins RAFC from Providence College. Midfielder also played for Bayside FC and was involved in the New England Revolution Academy. Received calls from the U.S. Youth National Team Future Camp in 2015 and an under-17 national team camp in 2016. Throughout his years at the Friars, Vang made 83 appearances and recorded 4 goals and 9 assists and 4,877 minutes. I looked up one of those goals online from the Friars. Pretty impressive. Was it a was it an outside of the box? Was it a run-in? Like how, was no, it a set like piece? He, what did he do? He, he played the ball out wide. Um, and kind of, you know, good positioning, made sure to continue his run into the box. The cross didn't exactly get to him, but he made sure to clean it up kind of thing. So that's one of the things I'm, I'm really glad that you mentioned that. Uh, I got to see him at the open practice day. The club actually asked us to not talk about it because they were still trialists. And even though they were local trialists, they said, Hey, like we'd prefer it if we, we just, you know, keep names out of it for now, he, you know, unless it's an officially signed player. But I noticed first and foremost, Vang was all over the the board. I mean, he he was running down balls left and right. He was tracking. Uh, he was taking. Vang is not also a very tall person, um, and so his physicality was kind of like the first thing I questioned as I watched him play. He, he's scrappy. He will he will get right up into the business end of either a defensive play or an offensive play. He wasn't afraid to take people on, and uh, and he started. He started throwing his weight. What what weight he had? He started throwing it around, and it, it made some significant impact to the uh, to the play that was on the pitch. 
so much so that you know there was one point where he he did make a small technical mistake on a on a pass and i've seen players a million times take that pass and be like okay well i'll leave it to the defenders to um to track back and to deal with and we'll just get we'll get the ball back on another turnover vang immediately pivoted and was on him as fast as possible it kind of reminded me of like pep guardiola style of like you lose the ball you go get the ball again and uh, again maybe he was showing up that way because it was he was fighting for a, a contract um but just his tenacity, that's the best word I could share about him or describe, is he just he had such a, a hunger to to show up uh in those in those chances. And and I think he'll be a great addition. And and again, he's he's a Rhode Island uh native, he's a local, so the the importance of that is not lost on me. I did you watch the video signing of of him? Uh I saw the video signing of Nate. So so an hour later cuz they did, they did the double announcement like we had called last week like an hour later they did Kevin's. Um so you missed that one too. It's like strike 3 for you tonight. I I mean I was there's a lot of other there's a lot of open <laughs> cup news that I was very invested in. I know. I, I'm I on have different to, corners of the internet. <laughs> I have to tease you. Um so like yeah like an hour later after Nate's announcement they did another video and uh and it, and it had to, it had a preface because it couldn't it had to kind of it had to tease or or set the story of what was about to happen but i guess kano in classic kano smith fashion he straight up hoodwinked kevin into thinking that he had gone in for a, a medical evaluation that morning for an ankle concern because they had quote unquote thought that there had been some damage and wanted to make sure that he was okay but they had used that moment in time to just do his entire medical evaluation so that they could sign him to a contract later that day. And they, they caught him in the moment with the cameras on him. Like, hey, did you see this coming? And he you could just tell he was like on the verge of, of tears. Like he was so excited. So nice. we said this when we interviewed him. Coach Kano can bluff his way out of anything. So, you know, this isn't a negative take on the guy, but never trust anything he says unless <laughs> he wants you to know that it's the truth because he is he can just look you straight in the eye. And you'll never know what's going on. So, I mean, I respect him and I do trust him. But, like, he also – just don't play poker with the guy. That's where <laughs> I want to go with that. Um, but, listen, these are two incredible signings. We've already reached out to the club uh, to see if we can get uh, some time with them uh, and, and you know, get a chance to to hear their stories and their journeys. You had made a, uh, a connection offline about how – I mean, and it's a natural progression. I didn't see it in, in Nate's background uh it kind of started at east providence high school and up but but vang is is a bay a bayside fc and we know that that's where owner and founder mike parkhurst also got some of his earliest time in the league i'd be curious if some of the same coaches and staff are there after that span of time like you know if they started young enough they could very much still be the same coaches that have been holding that academy over for for the decades in between i imagine that uh, the club has a because of Mike Parkhurst probably has a pretty good relationship at least in terms of communication with Bayside, so they will probably be hearing about any good talent that is coming through there. Since you gave me a hard question, I'll give you one here. Out of the two Rhode Island natives we got here now, who do you think's gonna have a uh, longer career with RAFC? I mean, I would say Nate because if Nate shows up and secures the 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 second spot or even the starting spot long term the ability for a goalkeeper to stay on and remain healthy is significantly longer than any other player on the field right you know kevin is 
is a what looks like a box to box midfielder. So that that and you 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 saw it like that he's going to be racking up the mileage. He's going to be racking up the minutes. The physicality of it. I, I think that strictly on just the health aspect alone, Nate wins in that space. If it comes to talent, though, I think Vang has a better chance to earn solid substitution minutes. And so if that comes down uh, to to Nate wanting to leave because he's not getting that, those minutes and Vang's getting opportunities where he can, then, you know, then it could be the other way, too. So I, I answered both but gave my explanations <laughs> to both of them at the same time. Yeah, no, I, I think I probably would agree with you. Goalkeepers do tend to have... A- slightly longer careers so it's not uncommon to see them to stay at teams for at least a few years um whereas depending on how vang's career is going he might want to uh you know try and you want to try and maximize your potential so if there are opportunities for him you know he might he might leave sooner than later so coming up next here is our interview with Director of Ticketing Brian Kim from Rhode Island FC. So sit back and enjoy our conversation. So we're here with Brian Kim, Director of Ticketing with Rhode Island FC. Brian, welcome to Raising Anchor. Oh, thanks uh, for having me here, Matt. Appreciate uh, uh, the time. Yeah, I, I can only imagine that this is the absolute crunch time for you as we march ever closer to the inaugural match. Everyone here behind the scenes is super excited to, to show uh, the Rhode Island community everything that we've uh, worked on. And uh, uh, you know, I'm sure the, the community has been waiting for years uh, for this team to finally play. So uh, the 16th can't come soon enough. Uh, everyone's uh, chomping at the bits uh, to get this thing going. So can you share with listeners exactly what your role is within the organization? Yeah, for sure. Uh, so my uh, so my role here is the director of ticketing uh, with the club. So uh, my job is to uh, develop and implement, you know, some business plans, you know, uh, based around our you know sales strategies and you know try to get our season ticket numbers up and you know our group, um, you know, groups out to our games as well. So um, everything kind of just surrounds you know getting folks you know out to our matches and experiencing you know, what we have on the field and then everything that, you know, we'll have off the field as well. You're no stranger to this type of work. In fact, you started it as early as uh, your time with the another USL club, Phoenix Rising. And uh, since then, you've transitioned uh, to the NHL and now back to the USL. What has that journey been like for you so far? Extremely rewarding, Matt. Um, I, I've been, I feel like I'm one of the very few, like, uh, friends out of my friend group that knew exactly what I wanted to do at a very young age. Uh, you know, a bunch of my friends have, you know, jumped from industry to industry. So, um, you know, at a, at a young age in high school, I knew I wanted to be a part of the sports world. Uh, I, was, I was real with myself and uh, knew I wasn't going to make it professional, whether it be, you know, hockey, basketball or anything, but a uh, big sports fan and uh, wanted to be a part of it. So uh, just uh, did everything I could to, uh, you know, gain experience and, uh, you know, do any little job that I possibly could to, to create connections uh, in the world. Um, so started out at Arizona State University, uh, you know, working in the athletics department, uh, you know, doing, you know, halftime activations for the women's basketball team, the women's soccer team, uh, men's hockey just got, uh, you know, NCAA, you know, uh, program at the time. So um, just doing all the the little jobs there and then uh, must have impressed the right people where, you know, straight out of school, I was able to uh, 
get a job with uh, Phoenix Rising, which was going into their first season after their rebrand from Arizona United. Um, after you know all the ownership changes and you know the excitement of Didier Drogba, you know coming to town and whatnot. So um, USL is definitely where I, I cut my teeth as far as my career goes, and then um, you know. Hockey has always been my passion. So when I had that opportunity to, to work in the NHL for a little bit, uh, you know, couldn't have asked for, for a better experience these uh, past couple of years uh, working for the Florida Panthers and going on a Stanley Cup final run, which uh, is a, a pretty cool thing to experience as a, as a Canadian kid originally from Vancouver, Canada. Um, so doing that for a few seasons and then, um, you know, my connection with Brett Johnson as, you know, he was a part owner with uh, Phoenix Rising. Um, it was a, a perfect opportunity for myself to, uh, you know, looking for career growth and you know, seeing what the USL had provided me in my first stop there. Uh, it was a no-brainer uh, for myself to take this opportunity and uh, see what uh, this club can do uh, for the Rhode Island community, um, which, uh, you know, I saw a lot of positive impacts uh, on what it did uh, in Arizona. So I think uh, on a later interview, I'm definitely going to have to unpack some stories that you could possibly share about your time around Didier Drogba, because that is a larger than life personality. But sticking specifically to Rhode Island FC today, and uh, understanding a little bit more about what is to come in the season, I think if we can unpack some of the early uh, ticket information that has been shared, and then maybe kind of work down everything up to what fans can expect on 316. The first thing that comes to mind is, is when season ticket memberships first launched, there was a lot of commitments, there was a lot of marketing and advertising around some of those additional hype pieces, if you will, that come as a benefit for being a season ticket member. And we haven't really heard or seen much since because obviously you've been trying to secure additional sales. But could you unpack for listeners a couple of those uh, additional programs and benefits that have been mentioned in the past? So there's things such as the bring a friend vouchers, there's the priority access across immediate games, open cup potential matches, as well as Tidewater, there's the ticket exchange program. And then also, I think single tickets at member prices were some of the biggest highlights. Can you unpack any more of the mechanics that were listed uh, with for season ticket memberships? Yeah, 100%. And uh, one thing I did want to clarify, um, it's a, a question that we've gotten from a lot of folks that reach out to our reps here is, you know, what's uh, what's the difference between season ticket membership uh, and just season tickets, right? Um, so season ticket membership is just our verbiage here at the club for our season tickets here. Uh, reason why we call it a membership is because there's more than just coming out to our matches throughout the season. Um, we're going to be hosting events uh, to be able to get access for our members to to meet the team throughout the season. Um, you know, so um, yeah, I know we've got some couple of those planned throughout the year to to be able to give the opportunity for you know our most uh, committed fans to be able to to meet the team that's essentially going to be playing on the field uh, each and every weekend. So um, just wanted to clarify that on the uh, the season ticket membership side of things. Um, but as far as the incentives go, uh, bring a friend vouchers. Um, our season ticket holders are our biggest supporters, right, Matt? Um, you know, before we've even rolled the ball, you know, these folks are, you know, uh, supporting us and, you know, wanting this club to succeed. So they are going to be, you know, for lack of a better way of saying it, our, our biggest, you know, billboards per se, you know, walking around town and talking about the club. And, 
we want them to be able to share the experience of what's going to be happening over at Bryant um, and Burns Stadium for the 2024 season. So um, all season ticket holders will have two bring a friend vouchers that will be automatically included into their package. Uh, where they'll be able to redeem those at any time throughout the regular season, uh, where they can either bring one additional friend uh, to a match, or if they'd like to bring two, uh, you know, one to you know two games, or if they'd like to bring you know two friends to to one match to to share the RIFC experience. So, uh, the bring a friend voucher is again just to be able to help share uh, kind of the experience of what goes on at Rhode Island Football Club matches. Um, and then as far as you know, the priorities go. Um, we'll have priority access uh, for the 2024 uh, playoffs. Uh, knock on wood uh, here, Matt. Uh, hopefully, uh, we'll be hosting some uh, USL playoff games. Uh, and if that were to happen, um, our, we are definitely going to make sure to take care of our uh, season ticket members uh, where they will have first right of refusal uh, to their uh, seat location um, before you know the general public essentially has access uh, to those seats for the postseason. Uh, and then that piggybacks off of, you know, what a lot of our fans are waiting for, and that's the stadium at Tidewater. Um, so, you know, we understand uh, that was what a lot of folks were looking for, um, and we still continue to appreciate the, the support that they're giving us here for the 2024 season. So uh, folks that have committed with us here in uh, this upcoming season, uh, we'll make sure that they'll have, you know, first rights to select seats at uh, our brand new shiny toy that's going to uh, be opening up in 2025 uh, in Pawtucket. Single game uh, tickets from at member rates. So we understand, you know, this is a first season uh, for our club. So we want to make sure uh, that um, not only that our members can bring uh, fans with uh, the bring a friend vouchers, uh, but again, we understand that there's going to be other folks that uh, our members are going to want to bring out. So we want to provide them that access to get, you know, more affordable tickets uh, compared to uh, if you were not a member. So uh, they'll, they'll have access to that, you know, throughout the season. Um, but we'll continue to uh, think of uh, you know unique and creative ideas to provide that first uh, that first class experience uh, for our members. Uh, so it's an ever growing uh, membership uh, as far as us wanting to improve uh, that membership experience uh, for all of our fans involved. You know, I I know that the tickets have downloaded to the SeatGeek app. I've I've already been going through that and just kind of looking at how the the mechanics of the app work. Uh, and I know that Rhode Island FC is working on a USL league-based uh, Rhode Island FC app, but I was curious, could you expand, do you know yet if the ticket exchange program, if that's going to be done through SeatGeek or will that be done through something internal to the club in the league? Yeah, fantastic question. So um, yes, we will have an app that's uh, Kind of partnered with the the league and whatnot, um, but it will be integrated with SeatGeek as well. So um, essentially, when you're accessing your tickets through our team app, you're essentially looking through SeatGeek. So, um, so, so to answer your question there, Matt, you're essentially going to be making the exchanges on SeatGeek. There's just going to be a lot of that RIFC branding on there so uh, that you know that you're managing <laughs> tickets for Rhode Island Football Club. So then to kind of transition, since we're on the SeatGeek topic, when it comes to buying tickets right now, is it something that you're encouraging going through your ticket reps and through the club site? Or is there any reason that a listener shouldn't be looking directly through SeatGeek? Is there, is there any unlock there that fans may not be aware of? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, everyone has their own preferred method, right? Um, you know, 
There are folks that don't necessarily want to speak, you know, on the phones with the rep. And by all means, we we have uh, we made it uh, online uh, where the process is uh, pretty seamless. Um, but we got great reps over here. They'll be able to to walk you through a pretty seamless process as well. Um, you know, whether you're looking to purchase a group package, you know, we have uh, many different, uh, you know, alternative options to full season ticket memberships as well, uh, including our flex pack and our three match mini plan. Uh, which also includes priority uh, for our 2025 um, Tidewater Stadium here in downtown Pawtucket. So um, reps will also be able to take great care of you guys. And I always think uh, it's great to go through a rep just because you may never know. You may find something uh, that might be available back office uh, that may not be available online. So you just never know when you get that personal service uh, from one of our reps that may run into some better options. I can speak personally as a season ticket member myself in first year. Uh, your reps are, are nothing but incredible human beings. When They've been amazing in helping me and others uh, get those tickets. So really, really great call out. So I think the last question we have in the season ticket member space is understanding uh, how do the other benefits look like, like merch discounts and picking up the scarves? You know, I know that there wasn't an official package or anything that went out to fans, but how do those things work and, and how will fans acquire those if they haven't already come to the front office to to get their scarves so um, we're available uh, here at the the front office here in downtown Pawtucket um, from uh, Monday through Friday from 10 to 4 uh, we're at the visitor center um, so they do have uh, some unconventional hours and so that's why the the 10 to 4 is uh, how we're operating currently um, but we are also uh, you know leading up to the home opener we plan on uh, being around the community um, actually Matt we're in the process of sending some communication out to our members um, for potential scarf pickups you know here uh, in the, the Providence area this weekend. So um, we'll definitely continue to have, you know, events around uh, Rhode Island to, to make sure that, you know, our members have the opportunity to pick up scarves if they can't come down to our office, you know, Monday through Friday from that 10 to 4, which, you know, you know most people are probably working, so it can be a little tough, right? So um, the goal is to, to try to get those scarves into our members' hands, you know, before the home opener, but understanding that uh, that may not be uh, a total possibility. So, um, we'll, we'll make sure to have it available at the home opener if uh, folks can't make it out to these events or, or swing by our uh, office you know, throughout the, the week as well. And in regard to the merch discount, you know, I, I've been in the office each time I've made a pickup with the exception of the kit reveal. Is it something that will send out membership cards or to collect or is it something that they can email their reps to get the, those, those other unlocks as a perk of being a, a season ticket member? Yes, yes. If uh, if all members, uh, for those of the members that do not uh, know the the season ticket member merchandise discount code, uh, please reach out to either uh, your service rep, um, or you can always reach out to uh, the tickets at Rhode Island FC email, and we'd be happy to connect you uh, with your designated service rep to not only assist you uh, with the merchandise dis uh, discount code. Um, but throughout the season as well. Um, they're uh, going to be there uh, throughout the year to, to provide that first class experience for all of our members um, to, you know, from the moment that they're, uh, you know, on the phones uh, with our reps uh, to the moment that their back tires uh, leave our property. Uh, we want to make sure that uh, the experience is a good one for everybody. So getting into the exciting stuff, I actually saw a post on Rhode Island FC's social media today that there's even more 
sections that have been sold out for the inaugural home match. Can you describe how the overall ticket sell-through is going? How's that process been? What have been some of the highlights uh, that's been going on in the space? Yeah, it's been it's been uh, it's been a very very encouraging. It's been amazing. Um, you know, we're tracking towards you know a lot of the season ticket goals and and you know revenue goals that we've had set behind the scenes, and we're uh, tracking well uh, well ahead of that. And you know, we'll definitely be reaching those goals here. Uh, knock on wood. Uh, and then as far as this uh, for the home opener goes, um, you know, we're very very close to to hitting a, a few milestones here, um, and uh, definitely uh, wanting to to fill this building up as soon as possible, right? So uh, it's definitely going to be happening here in the next couple of weeks. So I definitely encourage, you know, folks that haven't picked up their tickets yet uh, to uh, to pick them up here soon uh, because uh, it's going to be a very, very exciting night for uh, for soccer fans here in the Rhode Island community. So I you know, want to make sure that those folks uh, that have been waiting for this are a part of history. Um, so yeah, uh, I, I would... I would recommend uh, not waiting too much longer because uh, we'll we'll be definitely uh, announcing some good news hopefully here in the next uh, couple of weeks. So one of the other things that we've heard a lot from listeners is questions around themes and event planning that's being built into the game day experience. Obviously, ticketing is only one aspect of that, but I have heard from. Uh, some other sources in the club that that's definitely a part of your involvement and was wondering if you could share what you know is coming, uh, what's on the radar, you know, things like giveaway nights, family bundle nights, you know, what what kind of themes can listeners expect? Or is it too early to really reveal that just yet? May not be able to announce the uh, the exact dates there, Matt, but I'm happy to, uh, you know, mention a few, uh, you know, theme nights that we are planning on uh, announcing uh, coming up here. Now, obviously, we got the home opener. Um, it's going to be an exciting one on the on March 16th. Uh, we'll have our presenting sponsors, uh, Ortho uh, Rhode Island, uh, be there. Uh, we'll be you know, having a gate giveaway that evening. Uh, a lot of other, you know, uh, off the field activations that I think uh, our fans are going to be super excited about. So, obviously, we got that big home opener coming up. Um, we have a youth soccer night uh, that we plan on having um, here pretty early on in the season to be able to commemorate and you know celebrate with the youth soccer community. Um, I know that they're about to, to kick off their season here uh, shortly, so want to make sure to be able to provide a, a fun kickoff uh, moment uh, for the youth soccer community there. So uh, we'll definitely be having that coming uh, here uh, in the near term. Uh, and then some other uh, you know theme nights that we have planned are um, a do wicked good night, um, something that we're looking to do where we're honoring people and organizations that have done great things in our community and want to make sure to you know honor and celebrate them you know amongst you know, in front of our 5,000 plus fans um, in one of the evenings. Um, and then alongside that, you know, we're looking to uh, celebrate, you know, different, you know, parts of, you know, Rhode Island and the uh, different uh, cultures that we have here. So uh, we're going to do something around, you know, Portuguese, you know, heritage, you know, we got a Hispanic heritage night. So uh, definitely a lot of things planned throughout the year to not only come out to check out, you know, Rhode Island football club match, but to also um, bring awareness and celebrate other things throughout the season. So don't don't hate me, but it's the number one asked question I get all the time. Is there any consideration from the club to explore a discount night for one of those weekday types of games to bring people out when it comes to like $1 hot dogs? A lot of clubs, including Phoenix Rising, uh, have, have done those in the past. 
I'm not holding your feet to the fire here, Brian, but is it something that the club is at least exploring or is that not something in the first year that you're considering? Right, right. Um, yes, I definitely have a lot of fond memories of those uh, dollar beer nights over in Phoenix. But um, yes, we're, we're always thinking about different ideas to, um, you know, when it comes to, you know, matches throughout the year. And, you know, obviously those midweek games in the USL are always talked about as far as, you know, crowds and whatnot. So um, I have nothing that I can confirm or deny here today, Matt. But um, what I can tell you is, is um, the club is always discussing ideas on what we can do to to help not only bring the the passionate soccer fans, but those more casual folks that are just looking for some things to do, right? And so um, definitely dollar beer night or something similar along the lines of that, I'm sure will bring out a, a decent crowd. But uh, but yeah, we'll, we're we're uh, we're not going to uh, take anything off the table, and uh, we'll continue to to think of things to to see what we can do. To, again, I always come back to this word, but experience, right? That's that's my job is to make sure that our fans have a great experience. So uh, we'll we'll continue to work on that. And then I want to go back to something you said in the last answer around on-field activations and especially built around the youth. Um, I know from some previous interviews and meetings that you've shared that there is the terrific kids program, um, which is targeted at, you know, hyping and and bringing soccer awareness to the to the youth both in our youth soccer arena but also just fans younger fans within the state and the area could you expand a little bit more about how that would work earlier you had said there's some benefits from being a season ticket member but overall how will parents how will families be able to get their kids excited through the terrific kids program so our kids club uh, membership here, it's a it's a fantastic program. So it is going to be free uh, for all kids that are looking to sign up uh, under the age of 12. Um, so that'll be the, the age limit uh, for our kids club here. Um, and then all kids uh, club members, uh, they'll receive uh, gifts uh, throughout the year and special deals, um, exclusive experience offers throughout the season. So, um, you know, they'll have, you know, access to certain things that, you know, other folks uh, in the community or a part of the fan base may not get. So um, to be able to get free access to that for all of our youngest fans, I think uh, is very, very exciting. Um, on top of that, uh, we'll be doing, you know, $10 gift certificates uh, for our kids club members on their birthdays. So, you know, come celebrate, you know, their birthdays with us and, you know, a nice little gift for, for them getting a, a year older uh, this year and whatnot. So um, we'll be doing a lot of different things like that. Um, let's see. Um, another cool program, a part of the, the kids club membership is um, our sticker collection program. So essentially, uh, once they, uh, they'll get one sticker for each um, RIFC match they attend. They'll head over to our kids club table in our fan zone, uh, get a sticker for that match. And once they collect six, uh, we'll have a special exclusive gift. Uh, for all of our kids club members that have collected all six of those uh, kids club uh, uh, stickers. So uh, we'll do a lot of fun things like that throughout the year to, to keep engaged uh, with our uh, kids club members. And uh, um, yeah, and that's the idea is to, to grow uh, the fan base uh, at a young age. And hopefully uh, they're begging their parents to, to come into RFC games every weekend. So there's been uh, several asks uh, around social media 
about printed tickets versus digital tickets in the current environment. And I think the club has gone out and said that it is a digital system by intent. Uh, But is there any way that fans that want some sort of memento or are nostalgic for the version of printed tickets, is that something they can get? Does it exist if they go to the box office or purchase day of? Is Is there any differentiation there or will the entire system always be digital for that reason? The intent for the club is to go 100% digital. Uh, and I understand that there may be in some rare cases where, where folks may not have, you know, a smartphone or whatever it may be. So, so we may not go 100% digital. It may be like 99% uh, digital, uh, where we, we will have a, a ticket printer at the box office on day of game to uh, print out receipts or whatnot. Um, I understand that uh, ticket stub collection is a uh, big thing for for fans and season ticket holders. So um, I do have some ideas that I have in mind that I don't necessarily I can't necessarily mention right now. But um, I just want to let our fan base and our season ticket members know that that is something that I am aware of and you know am working towards a solution for those that are looking to collect from season to season. Great. And then just the last two questions, uh, supporters group, do we know where they'll be sitting? Or excuse me, we know where the home supporters group is sitting. Do we know where the away supporters groups fans will sit when they do travel in numbers? Has that been confirmed or shared yet with the general public? Uh, No, not with the general public, Matt, um, but I'm happy to share that uh, just based on the size of the supporter group, um, they'll be in a mixture of section eight and nine in the back rows. Um, so that I believe will be in front of the away technical benches. So um, we'll make sure to have a designated area uh, for the away supporter group and uh, make sure that, again, that their experience is where it needs to be and without you know, interfering with our other fans that are sitting, uh, you know, in their vicinity. So, um, but yes, they will be in section eight and nine. Um, in some cases, they may be in just one of the sections, just depending on the, the size of the, the fan base that's coming out. We've heard for the inaugural match that New Mexico United's fan group is intended to show up in some sort of serious set of numbers. Have you seen that? Has that been confirmed in partnership with that club? Or are you aware of that? Yes, so I have spoken uh, with some members of the New Mexico United supporter group. Uh, they had expressed uh, interest and, you know, uh, of folks wanting to come out to games. Uh, haven't gotten necessarily uh, the numbers yet, um, but we are expected to, to see a handful of folks uh, joining us from Albuquerque. So, Brian, one last question. Uh, we've heard that there may be something special being engineered specifically for season ticket members uh, ahead of the inaugural match. Is there anything you can tease the listeners with? Yes. Um, so there will be an event uh, that our season ticket members will be able to come down to uh, Burn Stadium um, prior to the home opener to check out their seat location, um, you know, meet the team, and heck, even pick up their scarves as well. So uh, TBD as far as some more information to uh, come here, but uh, I think our members are going to be very, very excited about what we uh, have in store uh, leading up before the home opener here. That's exciting. Can't wait. So I think in conclusion, for someone that's still on the fence 
uh, and hasn't bought season tickets, hasn't bought a, a set of group tickets, hasn't bought the flex plan, what is something that interested parties that are still waiting might not be uh, aware of? Or what, what's that thing that they need to, to get pushed over the edge and make sure that they're coming to Rhode Island FC games in 2024? I think what I can tell our fans here uh, that are on the fence is... Um, you know, while it may not be Tidewater, you know, we're going to be bringing as much of the professional experience um, to uh, Burn Stadium here in the 2024 season. Um, so it's definitely going to feel like a, a Rhode Island football club match. Um, so the game day experience off the field for our fans, are, it's going to be uh, top notch while um, the, the product on the field is uh, looking like it's going to be a great one as well. So uh, we're, uh, we really appreciate the continued support from everyone. And, uh, you know, for those that are, are waiting, you know, I, I would again, uh, recommend hopping on those tickets for the home opener, uh, as soon as possible. And then, you know, if you're interested in, uh, you know, potential options for next year as well, um, I think, uh, the full season for this year, the flex plan, the mini plan, uh, all have some great options to, to get you, uh, in some priority for the following season. So, um, you know, for those fence sitters, Come on, uh, join us here this season uh, for a great uh, you know product that we'll have on and off the field, and then uh, will be another exciting uh, thing to uh, celebrate next season as we uh, open up a, a brand new home again. Brian, thanks for joining the pod. We look forward to connecting with you later this season. Awesome, Matt. Thank you uh, so much for having me. What did you think of the interview? I mean, we didn't get confirmed dollar beers and dollar hot dogs. It's not off the table. We didn't get a confirmation. Is is that a deal breaker for you? Uh, no. I mean, I'm still gonna be there. <laughs> I, you know, I, I'm, I'm excited to hear that they are have a lot of plans for different nights. As a, as a, I don't know, hardcore soccer fan or whatever. Like, to a certain extent, I kind of don't care about that stuff, but it is important for the families. Um, it, it, it gets a lot of people in seats. So I, I think Portuguese Heritage Night will be a huge shout. I went to the Portuguese Night in Hartford for the El Paso game, and there were so many Ronaldo, Ronaldo jerseys. Yes, so many Ronaldo jerseys. Um, but 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 a lot of Benfica jerseys as well. You you could see that it wasn't just about Hartford that night. It was people that just enjoy soccer, being appreciative that there was an extension uh, and recognition of their of their culture and their traditions. So. I'm I'm super pumped about it. You're right. You know they they mentioned that there will be some giveaways um, for fans. We don't know what those are yet, but those that'll be really curious to see how that plays out. And then just the the kids the kids programming they were talking about with the terrific kids club and all of the amenities there. So I uh, I think that this is going to be really really great. I'm a little disappointed though. I thought when we bought our tickets, we had bought them to be away from the uh, supporter the away supporter group i should say i thought that was strategic by being closer to our home supporter group with the defiant 1636 knowing that any away fans that will be parked in sections eight and nine at the top rows that's us we're section seven top rows so they are they're gonna be right next to us which i i, I think brian needs to kick them to another side of the field so we're gonna we're gonna have to talk to brian um but that was a, that was a bit of a surprise i i thought early on we had been told that they would be in section one um because they're so far removed then does does that matter or is that a, is that a concern that the away group is i won't say danger close but like only two sections removed from the home supporter group 
Um, I don't, th- I don't think so. Um, in in bigger leagues with um a, a lot more history, where uh, some supporters groups have you know beef with each other that gets to to violence. Unfortunately, you do have to keep them away from each other. I do think there is a benefit though to that. Um, you know, I I've seen it at some games where you know you you have the two rival factions like kind of taunting each other from the opposite sides of the stadium and because they're so far, they have to be loud and it creates such a great atmosphere. Um, you know, Bernie Burn Stadium is just our temporary home. So I hope that it's maybe something they think about for um, Tidewater, but also I think realistically we're, what are you like, what's the traveling support? Like 50 to a hundred max, maybe you think? Well, I, I imagine for the Derby, it's going to be a full section. Oh so yeah, 250 definitely. People. Um, but like how many, you know, no, like how many people from New Mexico do you think are going to show up? So we, we talked on the, we talked on the interview about that, um, not spe- I mean, we did ask specifically to the New Mexico, and, and Brian didn't have that answer. I talked to a, a fan of New Mexico who's coming out, super super listener Kevin, and uh, he had said that he thought it was around like the high high twenties, low thirties. Um, so I mean, thirty people showing up in the winter is a great turnout in my oh, opinion. Oh no, I mean that's that's awesome. I just mean we we also have to be like realistic here too. We're not talking about you know thousands, hundreds. Right. Like some bigger, bigger yeah. soccer stadiums. Yeah. So I, I, I don't know. So like 20, 20 to 30 is manageable near us. But I, I guess I was really alluding to if, if I'm sitting right next to the the Hartford people that I, I'm, we're going to have to find new tickets for, for the Derby. Um, <laughs> just, just heckle. We'll just heckle them the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so yeah. So, and then, you know, the last thing just to touch on is, is there was that teaser from Brian, uh, about the big reveal uh, for something that will be coming for the season ticket members. All I can say is uh, look forward to it. I assume it's going to come. The information will come in your email. Um, it is something you do not want to miss when you get it. And it is going to be a very exciting thing that they're going to be bringing to to the fans. And if you're not a season ticket member, you really may want to think about signing up and becoming one because this this event that they have planned is very special and uh very very much a reward for for being a a season ticket member so that's all we can say for now but um just really excited that's coming so uh let's let's kind of get things wrapped up here a couple last things so one preseason updates uh what we can tell you is i know there's been a couple a couple questions online about you know where's where's chico where where's chico he you know, Chico hasn't shown up yet. Where's Chico? The good news is his P1 visa did clear with his travel requirements. So he is inbound at some point to Rhode Island uh, FC. We don't know if he'll be first coming to Rhode Island and then heading to Bermuda or if he'll be meeting the team in Bermuda specifically. That hasn't been uh, officially announced. I imagine that he would come here first and get settled in. But that's only a couple of days away because the club heads out pretty early in the uh, in the morning, either Friday or Saturday, to head down to Bermuda. So either he's already here, or he's on his way, or the club will be will be meeting him in Bermuda. Not really sure on that one yet. But when I started thinking about that, 
it's kind of crazy to think that we've gone through this many weeks of the preseason and Chico hasn't been there. I guess what I wanted to ask you is, is does this change anything for the remainder of the preseason? Like in terms of effort, in terms of integration, in terms of tactics, like, you know, Chico was very much just a poacher and a, and a, and a goal machine. He found his own way to be in the right places. Like, is this something that will hurt the club as we get less than, you know, 20 days before the first game? I don't think so. What's important is that, the, you know, we're just talking about one piece of a a whole, like, puzzle or machine or however you want to look at it. So if everyone is kind of starting to understand and know their roles, I mean, we still have a little bit of time for him to kind of to ease into the team, especially with the the attacking wealth that we have up front. Like, I'm I'm not worried. Okay. I I. I... I don't think it matters. And I think, again, Coach has had so many weapons that for some reason if Chico hasn't shown up well or maintained his fitness for some reason um, or is in a, in a is in some sort of preseason slump, uh, Coach has d- different weapons to choose from. And, and it's not like he hasn't been getting those minutes in with the rest of the players. So I agree with you. I still anticipate Chico starts in the starting 11 for, for the game against New Mexico. But, um, but yeah, it'll be finally good to see the entirety of the squad uh, gel and and come together. So we could see some insane numbers in the Bermuda games. Like we could see some seven, seven to one, seven to two performances. You know, Chico just scores two hat tricks in, <laughs> in a session. You know, that long range drone I ordered never came in. I don't think we're going to be able to watch those games. I'm, I'm sure the Bermuda Federation has uh, blacklisted me from any future media inquiries. I, I started getting a little too uh, insistent at the end there. So, um, let's uh, let's start wrapping things up and, and get uh, get out of here. What, what events do we have? All right. So RAFC is hosting two separate watch parties this Saturday, kicking things off first at Moniker Brewing, starting at 10 a.m. for the Manchester United versus Fulham match, and then again at Hope Street Pizza at 3 p.m. for the Arsenal versus Newcastle game. Both watch parties will raffle tickets for the game, and if you still haven't picked up your season ticket member scarf, you'll be able to do so there. Also that morning, if you're at the Providence Farmer's Market, make sure to say hello to the street team as they walk around and spread the gospel of RIFC to the masses. The first official unofficial fan meetup has been set for March 2nd at the Guild at 12 p.m. If you'd like to come out and meet other fans of the club, get to know more about the supporters group, or just enjoy a Saturday drinking some adult beverages and talking soccer, that's the place to be. And while we can't officially reveal and take the club's thunder, that that secret season ticket member idea will be sometime after March 2nd. So if you're trying to think like, oh, like, where do I need to plan? We can't give you the specific date, but it will be in the uh, in the early days of March. So just anticipate that as well. So you're not thinking like, oh, is this going to be something that comes up next Monday and I'm, I'm busy? So plan accordingly, and, and hopefully the club will get that information out there soon. Just one listener question and a listener update that we have to go over real quick. Yeah, so um, Seth here is just updating us um, about the uh, the New England thing. He's referring to Hartford not being in New England. Okay, so Seth, so. throw in shade. Connecticut doesn't count. Okay. <laughs> I love nice. it. I love and it. he also thanks us for the recommendations. So Seth also said if we ever need a referee to split the decision or educate us on some sort of, you know, egregious 
concern or something that happens in one of the games, he'd be happy to to come on. So Seth, we'll we'll try to figure that out. Uh, our schedules are not you know easy to accommodate. Sometimes we record early, sometimes we record extremely late. So we'll, if we ever have the chance to collaborate, we'll definitely be in a future partnership. So we'll, we'll stay tuned on that. And we'll we'll keep you posted. Definitely. And we got another one here from Tim. Um, he's been seeing varying answers on how many roster spots a uh, USL championship team has, but the most common is 26. He wants to know if that's correct. And then assuming it's 26, the announced player count stands at 21. He wants to know if we are anticipating more signings before March 16th. So I did a little bit of looking up and the 26 number that I'm seeing, the dates on those are pretty old. I found um, some information, but I couldn't find a date on it. So I, I got a hold of a PDF that says 30. But the problem is, I don't know what season it's for. <laughs> so I we, we are still waiting for our operations handbook to come from the league. They're finalizing the 2024 one right now. So I can only go off of um old news or or old information like what you were kind of sharing there is there it is 26 but there is a cap to 30 if you have an academy system uh or like a um a supplemental roster of players that are super young but you need to bring them on so like the the kid that signed last year for san and no uh, for sacramento that was 13 he would have been in one of those outlier spots above the 26 and then when he got his his quote unquote signing, uh, he would have then converted to uh, one of the twenty six or one of, under uh, one of the twenty six spots. So uh, it's it's a little bit of a gray area right now since we can't tell you what the twenty twenty four conditions are. But having said that, to answer the other part of the question, in terms of total count, if you ask coach, his uh, the quote that he will live by forever is the roster is never done. Uh, it's always being constructed. It's always being improved. That being said, I can't think of a position of need in the immediate with the exception of that right back, which I think we've shared previously. And again, I think Clay Holstead can easily slot in there if if it's needed. Um, but if the coach or if the staff can find a gifted right back to make sure that we have depth, then... I wouldn't be surprised if that would be our our twenty second player, but then after that, I I don't I don't see. I think I think in the early interview back in September, he had said twenty two was the magic number, basically one for each each position of need. So yeah, I, but we have three goalkeepers. So do you think one of them has to play in midfield? And do you think that's actually how players like Ederson and Manuel Neuer got so good at passing? Because they're just like, well, I have to, you know, we. During practice, I'm now a midfielder. <laughs> I mean, well, that's that's the story of a lot of good defenders, right? In in their youth teams and their academies, they started as strikers because that's what they played in the earliest developments of of their sport. Then they realized they weren't good enough to be strikers, but they had spent all that time doing the clinical shots, doing the practices, and so you know by the collegiate time they've converted into a, a defender or a wing back or something like that. I love those kinds of conversions because then it starts them in one career first, and then they have those skill sets, and then they they move on to a, a an, an equally important role in the team. So I I still stand by if it's not a right back, we don't need it for the time being. Who knows what the season will unfold? That's the that's the beauty of of soccer 
uh, and and having to play as many matches as you do is you just don't know what will happen. So I don't want to put any jinxes on this club, but it'd be better to have open roster spots than to have a full team and then need to adjust because of something that could happen down the road. Yeah, definitely. I wouldn't be surprised, though, if we pick one or two up more, but it, it's it got to make sense, and they're most likely going to be, like, call it, like, non-starting players who are more for, for that depth, like you said, in case of injuries. But it's always good to keep some slots open as well, too. And uh, that's going to wrap it up for today. Um, if you guys want to find us on the Internet, we're on Twitter, Threads, and TikTok at RAFC Podcast. We have an Instagram at Raising Anchor, and there's that website you can check out, www.raisinganchorpodcast.com. Anchors up. Anchors up, buddy. <laughs>